Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply problem is, like many people that have an efficiency mindset, like I do, probably a lot of entrepreneurs, is when we move that efficiency into our relationships. Because you cannot be efficient with people. You can be efficient with raking your yard, taking out the garbage, washing your car, some email, social media, signing paychecks. You cannot be efficient when it comes to building relationships with others, which really is the backbone of your business. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey everyone, today's guest is Scott J. Miller. Scott is a leadership expert, a best-selling author, and has one of the top podcasts on leadership. He's a 25-year associate of Franklin Covey Company, which is one of the world's most influential leadership development firms. Scott has published a multi-volume Mess to Success book series where he discusses topics like careers, management, and marketing. His latest book is Master Mentors, where he shares the teachings from 30 thought leaders and top business minds. In this episode, we chat about why Scott feels not everyone is cut out to be a leader, how to practice gratitude by making one simple mindset shift, the key difference between efficiency and effectiveness, and why it's perfectly fine for business owners to not have all the answers. As I mentioned in this interview, I admire Scott's work so much that I consider him a virtual mentor. His work is truly inspiring and highly educational. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Let's dive right in and talk with Scott. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? Tyler, I'm great, man. Nice fall day in Salt Lake City, Utah. I appreciate the platform and the spotlight. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you. You're like a virtual mentor to me, if that oh, type of thing exists. So just excited to have you. So, hey, I wanted to start out with, can you share a little bit about yourself and what you're doing now? And we'll just segue from that. Sure. Well, I mentioned I live in Salt Lake City with my wife, Stephanie. We have three boys, three sons that are seven, nine, and 11. Don't do that. Don't have three boys in five years. <laughs> and to my wife's horror, they all have my energy and personality. So that's fatiguing in its own right. I am a 25-year associate of the Franklin Covey Company, by most measures, the world's most influential leadership development firm, Dr. Covey. 
the author of the book, The Seven Habits, recruited me 25 years ago. I was the chief marketing officer for a decade, was an executive officer in the firm for many years. And now I am the host of the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. It's about 7 million people each Tuesday morning. It's a massive privilege. I write a column for Inc. Magazine each week on leadership. I'm a a blogger. I hosted a radio program on iHeartRadio. And I'm a fortunately best-selling author, Wall Street Journal, Amazon, writing many books in the future. And I'm just at heart, I'm a semi-successful leader of people that's had lots of mistakes and lots of messes. And now I am an aggregator. I'm a pollinator. I'm a synthesizer of other people's genius and wisdom and hopefully helping to get it out to millions more people in the world. I love that you brought up an author because I'm going to go in that direction. Um, you have four published books, yeah. well over 500 reviews, at least that I've seen. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Not all good, I'm sure. <laughs> it looked like five-star reviews to me, but, but okay. Can't please everybody, right? There's a lot to dive into. Your latest one is Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. I wanted to get into... <laughs> Beautiful. I wanted to get into the marketing. Books. Come on, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I hear you. I'm kind of surprised you don't have it in the virtual screen behind you. But. I used to. <laughs> this is my living room, actually. So no. It's gorgeous, by the way. Hey, so I want to get into the whole mess theme. You have some books with mess themes. One is marketing mess and one is management mess. What's in store for that mess? Because now with this latest one, Master Master Mentors, does the mess theme die or do you have some something in store for us? Because I love that. Love that line. Unfortunately, with me, nothing dies. And that probably isn't a good thing. I, everything's got a life. You know, so my, my first book that I authored was called Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow. It did extraordinarily well. It basically was kind of the first books ever written that really just kind of explored the underbelly of leadership, that leadership is hard. It's unrelenting. It's often unrewarding. Not everyone should be a leader of people, contrary to what the leadership experts tell you. I'm not sure I should have been a leader of people. And I was a leader in a leadership company. So this is a very funny, kind of horrifying, vulnerable look at 30 challenges every leader faces. I write stories about how in most cases I failed at it, occasionally succeeded. And it did so well that it spawned the next book called Marketing Mess to Brand Success. 30 challenges, you know, to kind of transform your organization's brand and your own. Similar style, kind of a lot of the messes or challenges that marketers will face. And as the chief marketing officer of an iconic brand for a decade, I thought I had some chops on it. So these are the first two in what is a 10-volume series in the Mess to Success brand. The next book will be Job Mess to Career Success, followed by Communication Mess to Influence Success. And there'll be books on sales, relationships, parenting, marriage, and that'll round out the 10 books in the Mess to Success series over the next eight years. Concurrently with that, as you mentioned, I've just launched Master Mentors, which is the first also in a 10-book series. There'll be one of these coming out every year for the next eight years. I already have volume two finished, and I'm starting volume three that highlights 30 uh, transformative insights from guests that I've interviewed on my podcast. Now, you made a comment that caught me off guard a little bit. You said, not everybody is a leader. Right. And so a lot of times, and you even said that about yourself, maybe, you know, you weren't exactly a leader. You know, a lot of times business owners get in the position where they need to be a leader. And to your point, like they may not be a lead. I mean, they may not be cut out to be a leader. Does that mean by that statement, do you mean they'll never be a leader or something they can grow into? Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Yeah. I, I think that everyone should be a leader 
of people. You can lead strategy, you can lead the P&L, you can lead fundraising, you can lead sales, but not everyone should be a leader of people. Just like not everybody should be an anesthesiologist or a commercial airline pilot. Not everyone should be a leader of people. And I think that when we force people into leadership, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're the founder, the owner, this is your baby, right? You've mortgaged your home and second mortgaged your home on this, on this process. You might need to pick someone as soon as you can that leads the people side of the business. Doesn't mean that you don't still own the business and that you don't make the ultimate decisions, but you might be better suited on strategy or product development or sales or fundraising or publicity or marketing or innovation or whatever it is and lead the people leadership business to somebody else. Now, if you have three or four employees, that probably isn't possible in every case. But if you're going to be a leader of people by choice or by consequence or just by, you know, by uh, uh, latitude, not having enough people or not having the budget yet to hire someone to lead the people, then you've got to be really thoughtful around what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? What are your blind spots? And you can build your leadership skills. No question. You can become a competent leader of people. It may not be your natural calling. It may be more painful than it is easier for other people. I don't know that my natural skill is leading people. I've learned to be a much better leader. I think I'm a competent leader, but let's be clear. You know, I've done some damage. I've wrecked some havoc on cultures because I didn't understand that a leader's job is to achieve results with and through other people. And once that becomes your mindset, Tyler, your job is to achieve results with and through other people. Then you begin to realize your job is to build capacity, job to build capability, to coach, to mentor, to guide, to develop relationships, not to micromanage and suppress and to rush in and save the day or do it yourself. It's a mindset shift. It's a maturity that I came to much later in my own leadership career than perhaps I should have. So when you came up with Master Mentors, was that part of your vision all along, segueing after your, your mess series? And I understand you're going to go back to that, but was that kind of your plan to, to have 30 mentors and build it into volumes or is yeah. it just kind of morphing? Really? That's awesome. You know, I'm a pretty strategic guy, right? So the podcast mm-hmm. has been remarkable in its ability to land a big guest, right? We, Matthew McConaughey and Dan Pink and Seth Godin, Liz Wiseman, General McChrystal, lots of great names. Uh, Will Smith's coming on, Sanjay Gupta, Bill Gates. We've got a great list roster coming up as well. I always thought that my job was going to morph into an aggregator and a pollinator, as I mentioned before, right? For a long time, I was the producer, the director behind the scenes. About a decade ago, I began to speak more in public, about three years ago, I began writing books. But I really thought there was a great opportunity for me to have this access that I have, these amazing minds, some of which are household names, some of which are not. Not everyone is a celebrity. Some of them just have some amazing insights to share, but to serve as a vehicle where literally millions more could learn from them. Not just what they said in the podcast, but in the book often, Tyler, I share what happened off air, what happened you know, in the green room or before they went on air or when we hung up off the podcast, but they stayed on and shared an insightful story. Now, it was all shared with their permission. They had editorial control. There was no you know, secrets being shared, but it was kind of my idea to not just develop the podcast into this juggernaut, which it's become, with a lot of help from a lot of people, including the production team and the guests, but also to give these people a platform to shine light on them. Because I think I've picked 30 people that don't just have a transformative insight for my life, but for the reader's life as well. And not every insight will hit everybody you know, the same way, but I think it's kind of a book that's going to pick up the mantle 
of chicken soup for the soul. And in many ways, it's kind of chicken soup for the leadership soul, whether you're a formal leader or an informal leader. What I love about it is how you intertwine in each chapter. Like you're talking to us, the reader, but then also the person that the chapter is about is talking to us. Yeah. So it's really cool. It gets you really engaged. And so I've really enjoyed it. I'm just curious, as you were going through that, 30 people, are there some insights that you took away from that that you're like, oh man, I can apply this to my life? Or, oh, I didn't think about that. This is yeah. something I should be doing. Anything stand out? Well, it'll sound like a cliche, but it was every one of them because I think <laughs> most authors write the book that they need to read themselves. It sounds you know, like an, an adage, but it's very true. I think the most profound one is the one that I started with, which was the chapter on gratitude. If we have time, I can expand on it. But chapter one, Master Mentor One, Nick Vujicic, is one for a, read, a reason. And I think he had an overwhelming transformation in my life around understanding how I lacked gratitude. I talked a good game, but I wasn't practicing gratitude like I needed to, and Nick transformed my life. Yeah, that's so self-reflective. Can you dig a little bit into that gratitude area of what you got out of that? Sure. I, I do have a couple other ones, but I'd love to just one that really resonated with you. Yeah. Many may know Nick Vujicic is a very famous author. He's been a public speaker to hundreds of millions of people. He was born with no limbs. Nick has no arms and no legs. He has a neck, a head, a torso like you and I, and his body ends at his waist, his groin. And Nick was at my house once. My wife and I are fairly known in Salt Lake for having dinner parties every month where we invite a celebrity over, a rock star, or an ambassador, or a governor, and we assemble 15 people, have a lot of champagne, and have a lot of great questions of these people. Nick came to one of the dinners, and I write in the book around how I realized by meeting him that reflexively, unconsciously, I drink water, I eat my key lime pie, I go to the restroom, I scratch my head. Nick can't do any of these things. He has no arms and no legs. He has no fingers, he has no toes. He has like two toes on, a, on an appendage, like looks like a, a foot, but it's not really a foot. The big transformational insight was after I become friends with Nick, who looks forward, he does not live in the past or the current, he lives in the future about what is possible, what to look forward to. I learned something transformative, and that is to look at everything in life through the lens of I have to or I ought to or I get to. And I'll land this in less than a moment. I mentioned I live here in Salt Lake City, where it is brutal cold about half of the year. And a typical <laughs> Sunday evening for me, it's nine o'clock at night. The boys are now barely in bed. I open up the garbage can I'm like, oh, crap. I got to take the garbage out, right? It's, it's four degrees outside. The driveway is iced over. You've been there. The garbage can, well, San Jose, not so much, but the garbage cans are, you know, 40 feet away. I slip, I fall. And then I realize, oh, it's Sunday night. Tomorrow's garbage pickup. I got to take three garbage cans down 70 yards out to the road. And after meeting Nick, I don't look at it as I have to take the garbage out or even I ought to. It's like I get to take the garbage out because Nick Vujicic cannot take the garbage out. Nick can't do most of what we do. So when you've got a difficult task ahead of you, you have to terminate someone. You have to cut someone's income back. You have to give someone a high courage conversation. You have to bootstrap. Don't dread it. View it as, you know what, I get to terminate this person tomorrow. I get to, because that's not right for me or for them. And I need to send them on their way to what is right for them. I don't dread much anything anymore. Because I look at it as I get to pay one-tenth of the visa bill this month. Because I don't have nine-tenths of it. I have one-tenth of it. Just look at everything in life from, 
I have to, through I ought to, to I get to. And for me, that was transformational. Yeah. You know, that really speaks to me because a chapter that spoke to me is similar to it is perspective. So you had Trent Shelton, yeah. who's a former NFL player. Yeah. And it's it's really long lines of the gratitude too. What what he says is Trent says your perspective needs to be your power or your prison. Yes. And it's pretty simple. A power perspective in that moment is saying, listen, it didn't work out. Maybe there's something better that's going to work out. And I feel like you were just mentioning the trash. You know, it is a little bit warmer in San Jose, but 60 degrees. <laughs> I don't really want to walk out in the morning either. So it, it is perspective. Fancy. Exactly. Absolutely. I'll take that all day long. But, but so that really spoke to me even more. And, yeah. you know, I want to shift down a little bit. One of the things you said in the book that was another thing that spoke to me, you said, I am a self-proclaimed world-class model of efficiency. Simply put, I get stuff done. In fact, my propensity to get stuff done arguably has been the biggest contributor to any professional success I've achieved in life. But then you go on to say, my efficiency has also been a hallmark of both of my brand, both good and bad. Yeah. What is the bad in it? I'd be curious. I love how you asked that question. You're a great podcast host. Thanks. Some context. The founder of the Franklin Covey company, where I've worked for 25 years, I recently retired, but I'm an advisor to the board now, and I managed and lead their podcast and other things was Dr. Stephen R. Covey. Of course, he wrote the seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, sold 40 million copies. As the CMO, I was often interviewed by the press to talk about our book, of which one of 30 best-selling books we authored. And they would often slaughter it and call it The Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People. And I would say, no, 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 no. He named it The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People for a reason. They sound similar, but they're very different. Efficiency and effectiveness are opposites. One is not better than the other. It's just when do you deploy them? As you mentioned, I'm an extraordinarily efficient person. I wake up at four o'clock every morning. I write my ink column from four to five. I write my books from five to 6.30. I'm a dad from 6.30 to 8.15. I then, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and an author and a speaker from, you know, eight to six. I'm a dad again. I write again, you know, and rinse and repeat seven days a week. I write every day from about four to 6.30. That efficiency has been my hallmark as a productivity expert. The problem is, like many people that have an efficiency mindset, like I do, probably a lot of entrepreneurs, is when we move that efficiency into our relationships. Because you cannot be efficient with people. You can be efficient with raking your yard, taking out the garbage, washing your car, some email, social media, signing paychecks. But you cannot be efficient when it comes to building relationships with others, which really is the backbone of your business. You know, every company is now a technology company. I don't care if you're selling flowers or you're creating, you know, ramen noodles. You are a technology company and every business is in the same business. You're in the people business. You're in the relationship business. As Dr. Covey said, with people, fast is slow. Slow is fast. So to your listeners who are business owners and they're building a business where they're in productivity mode and efficiency mode and you know they're they're really racing against the clock right which is the runway of their cash flow I get it and just be thoughtful around do you need to change your mindset do you need to like literally remind yourself Tyler to move out of being efficient slow down close your computer take off your apple watch turn off your phone and check in Know when to be efficient and when 
to be effective. And it's almost always with people should you become effective. That's powerful. And it's kind of inherent, right? You know, if you're being efficient, you know, if you're moving things along, and it's okay to have permission. Hey, Tyler, can I just be efficient for a few moments here? Yeah. So I've given you permission to kind of like talk in shorthand, not ask you how your daughter is, not discuss the weather today, not, you know, make a safe declaration of my intent just to kind of get to the facts. Just don't make that your default in every conversation. Yep. Just that relationship, keep that at the forefront. We do get so, I'm process orientated and it's so easy to just, everything becomes a process and you can't really do that with people or you you shouldn't. It's not going to be a healthy relationship. You can, but it needs to be done judiciously. And I think it's helpful to say, hey, would you mind if I just had a really efficient conversation around your Q2 forecast? I'm trying to build expectations, right? And that's like four minutes, facts, 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 facts. But then make sure you balance it later with, how are you doing? How's it going? How's your wife? How's your car? Whatever it is where you're building a relationship on, genuinely, right? There's a time to be efficient and a time to be effective. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. Whatever it is where you're building a relationship on, genuinely, right? There's a time to be efficient and a time to be effective. I think this runs into the same thing. I want your opinion. So Chris McChesney cited in in his chapter, there were some statistics cited. One of them read 53% of employees weren't engaged in their work and 84% were considering leaving. Those are like amazing stats if you think about it. I mean, like 50% of employees aren't, aren't really essentially wanting to be there and probably not efficient at all. What's causing that? How do we combat that? Like, especially in this age of the great resignation, yeah. what are the tips there to, to work around that? Chris McChesney, of course, is the lead author of the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, the best-selling book on strategy execution in history. I wrote this book a year ago, because as you know, it takes nine months to publish a book, right? right so right. I think 100% of people are now looking for a job. Not 80%. I think everybody is reassessing their legacy, their mission, their passions, their fears post-pandemic. I use post-pandemic as a bit of a you know motivator because we're not post-pandemic by any stretch. But I think everyone's looking and looking to do something different, looking to be fulfilled. They're, they're on the hunt. Are they valued? Do they feel engaged? Do they know if they're winning? As an entrepreneur and owner, you have to create a winnable game for your people. They have to know what does winning look like? Is it attainable? What happens when we do win? Is there a celebration? Is there a reward? Or is it just on to the next goal immediately? I think oftentimes entrepreneurs, by their very nature, are high-performing, indefatigable business people. And perhaps they don't recognize that you might be setting goals too high. That doesn't mean you phone it in. Doesn't mean you set it too low, but there's an art, is there not, to goal setting where people can stretch themselves and win and know what it's like to win and have you tell them you won. And how you know if you've won is if you scoreboard, what are the key measures? What are the key goals, right? We're going to increase revenue from 40,000 to 80,000 by December 14th. 
and that you not just scoreboard measures, but you know the difference between lead measures and lag measures. Most people scoreboard lag measures. You need to scoreboard lead measures. And the difference is a lead measure is influenceable, is I can impact it before it's too late. So I think if you're going to actually build engagement, you have to understand that leaders don't create engagement. What they do is they create the conditions whereby others choose their own level of engagement. You can't force someone into engagement. Well, I guess you can force someone into low engagement, (laughs) but you can't force someone into high engagement. What you can do is build a culture where they love coming to work. They feel valued. They have a voice. You ignite their genius. You get out of their way. You reward them. You tell them when they're doing a great job, and you tell them when they're not. If you want to engage someone, sit them down and say, hey, Tyler, I need to have a high-courage conversation with you. Last week's project was a bit of a failure, and I love you enough to risk kind of not being liked by you not right now. Because I want to tell you, you've got a couple of blind spots and I want you to improve on them so you can crush it next quarter. I care about you. You won't be here forever. I hope you stay for a long time, but I love you enough to invest in you and in a high courage way, have a conversation around what's working and what's not so that you can learn from it. Because someday you're going to thank me. Right now you're going to punch me, but someday you're going to thank me for having the courage to give you some feedback on your blind spots so that you can win against these goals that we've set for the company. That's a leader that's created a culture where people choose a high level of engagement. Yeah, Maybe not in the moment, but after they diffuse, after they are thinking about all of your blind spots and they come around, they say, yeah, maybe he's right. Give him some time to come around. That's the kind of leader people will never forget. The leader that really is a mentor. So what I'm hearing is very transparent, very open, very collaborative discussion and and their well-being and how to get an individual to grow. Says easy, says easy, does hard. Vulnerability and transparency are leadership competencies. Just like reading a P&L, just like calculating EBITDA or inventory turns. These are leadership competencies. Teach from your mistakes not just your wins and your successes. Open your kimono and tell your people, let me tell you about the biggest deal I ever screwed up. Here's what I did wrong. Here's what I thought I did right. And if you learn, if your people learn from your messes, it's because you're owning your mess. Because as a leader, when you own your mess, you make it safe for others to own theirs. Teach through your messes. Don't just become an untouchable leader where no one can relate to you. They'll quit you and go somewhere else. You mentioned scoreboard. I do want to just touch on that a little bit. I've got a little bit of a numbers background. So when I think scoreboard, you know, I'm, I'm thinking numbers and rating people. And in, in the book, it was awesome. You said, hey, that's not the right scoreboard. Like throw out the Excel, throw out, you know, all the numbers. In fact, I think I've even heard you say the word boring. I, I won't. I won't make you quote me on that. I think I called you a nerd offline, off air. <laughs> nerd alert. That might have been your inner inner voice, but now <laughs> you're saying it. No, there's no difference between my inner voice and my outer voice. You know that from reading my books. <laughs> so so what what's our what's what's the alternative to to just hard data? What what should we do to help people, you know, have some scoreboarding, if you will, but not in a in a boring old-fashioned way? Make them fun, right? Move outside your laptop, get a Sharpie pen and a poster board or butcher paper, write them on the walls, make them visual, update them every day, get it out of your laptop, right? Make them fun. In fact, better yet, don't make them at all. Have your team make them. Say, you know, Mm. we want to scoreboard 
how many registrations we need for our Easter conference. We want 195 people each paying $600 to come to our two-day conference. I'm making this up. Translate it for your business. We want 800 people registered for next quarter's webcast or whatever it is. Okay, so how many do we have to have every day for the next 97 days? It's updated every day, kind of like, you know, the Red Cross and the blood drive. And let's yeah. make it fun. Let's use photographs of, you know, Jennifer Lopez and, and what's her new boyfriend's name? Brad, what's his name? No, that's the old boyfriend. Ben Affleck, right? And let's cut out <laughs> pictures or put, you know, Britney Spears out there, whatever it is, right? Just make it fun and have people joke about it and laugh about it. But make sure that everybody's involved. Everybody has a task and that you can walk up to it and immediately in one second know, are we winning or losing? Are we on track or not? Is the goal realistic or not? We have the right measures in place, the right resources in place. Don't pass around an Excel spreadsheet that has numbers, right? It's make it fun. Make sure it's in front of everybody. And perhaps you rally around it every day for five minutes and say, is it updated? How are we doing? Are we on track? What should change? Make it laughing. Make, it, make fun of some people, maybe yourself, right? I mean, maybe you're in various stages of you know what, whatever it is, right? But if you're the owner, let the team poke fun at you. But you got to move it out of your laptop and move it out of Excel. That is not a scoreboard. That is a comptroller's you-know-what dream come true. Right. I'm seeing in big, bold letters, get engagement is what I'm hearing. Get engagement, get engagement, get people involved. Yeah, no involvement, no commitment. Yep. If there's no involvement, there's no commitment. I want to switch gears. I'm an aspiring author. I know a lot of my audience is. So You've written some... <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, you keep me on my toes here. So give us some tips, aspiring authors. We obviously, you know, most of us don't have a publishing arm behind us. Yeah. What should we do? Like, what's a good way to start out and get out there and do it? Start writing. Okay. Stop caring what people think about you. You know, I'm 53 years old. There are blogs dedicated to my hair, my Woody Woodpecker hair. There's blogs dedicated to my glasses and how fast I speak and my stutter. I have a fairly pronounced stutter. That's a different podcast. And so I don't really care what people think about me anymore. So the first goal is turn 53. It'll change your life and you'll be less concerned. Stop caring what people think about you sooner in life than later in life. Want to start writing. You know, everyone has a different process. I'm a very visual writer, a very visual learner. So if you go to my office, you'll see all my chapters and post-it notes and you'll see sub points and I'll move things around. So you know what? That's really about number four. That's really... That's chapter 17, not chapter 19. So I give myself permission to move it all around. The first is just start writing. Whether you're writing a blog on LinkedIn or you're writing you know, a column for a local newspaper or whatever, just start writing to understand what is your style. And then build some structure. You know, Understand what motivates you best. Me writing every day for about an hour and a half from 4 to 5.30 is the best way for me. And I, if I'm stuck, I'm stuck. I move off and I move on to chapter 14. I'm not a very linear thinker. That probably shows in my books. I'm fairly an episodic thinker. I think the future of books is short. The future of books is not 65,000 words, 400 pages. Some of the best books, Who Moved My Cheese, right? How Will You Measure Your Life? These are books that have under 35,000 words. Shorter is better. You don't have to have a publisher. But let me tell you, Writing a book is about 10% of the process. Launching a book is 90% of the process. If your goal is to have people read your book, you have to have a massive social media following. Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, 
LinkedIn. You have got to build your social media, build it with high engagement because there's no more magazines. There's no more radio programs. There's no more TV shows. There are, right? But I mean, at the end of the day, if you want to launch a book, it is 95% through social media. And so as much as you want to write, you need to build your social media because you write a book that no one's ever read. Got it. Now, I want to move to one other thing. Got two more questions here I want to cover. One is, um, are you reading a book right now that you can share with us or one you've read recently? That that's... I'm reading about 10 because like you- and you I can't say your own, by going. the way. <laughs> no, so- I, I like you. I have, you know, two to three interviews a week on my podcast and I read their book cover to cover. I'm literally reading this right. I happen to be here. This is General McChrystal's next book coming out in a few weeks. This is the manuscript. And so I'm interviewing him tomorrow on his new book. And so General Sam McChrystal, of course, the four-star general that led the invasion to Afghanistan has this book coming out. So I got to have this finished by interview tomorrow. Wow. For the benefit of the audience uh, that are listening, Risk, A User's Guide, and you said the author's name. Yeah, General McChrystal. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'm reading a second book concurrently called Impact Players. Liz Wiseman wrote a very famous leadership book called Multipliers. And she's releasing a new book in a couple of weeks called Impact Players. Dory Clark, who's written several books on branding and careers, is releasing a new book this week called The Long Game about, you know, how do you think long term in a short term world? And I'm reading that. So I'm reading about nine books right now, but two, I have to finish tonight because the interview is tomorrow. You asked, that was a mouthful. Yeah. You know, we're both 53, by the way. Ah, and Looking good, sir. You're looking good. It, thank you. I, I feel the same about you. Like, I feel like I look 20 years older than you. But anyway, uh, I aspire to have half of your energy and efficiency. And when I read in your book, everything you do, and you shared a little bit here today, it's amazing your typical day. So, hey, where I want to end, you've already given us a lot of tips. So I'm, I'm kind of being greedy here. But I'd like to end with something along the lines of uh, a business or personal tip that we can apply in our lives. Does something come to mind that you can share with us? Yeah. Yeah. I'll speak to perhaps your core listening audience, you know, entrepreneurs and startup experts and people that are small business owners. You don't have to have all the answers. You are not the genius in the room. You are the genius maker of others. Dr. Covey said, humble leaders are more concerned with what is right than being right. So I'd say, check your ego. Humility is a strength. It is confident leaders that are capable of being humble. Humble meaning that you don't have to have all the ideas. You're comfortable having people have greater expertise and competence and education than you do. Hire people that are smarter than you, that are better salespeople, that they're better innovators. They have more energy. They have more creativity and don't have to be right all the time. In fact, surface it. Say, well, whose idea was that? Oh, wait, that was mine and that was idiotic. So who's got a better one? Because you are the founder or the owner does not mean you are the smartest person in the room because no one wants to work for the smartest person in the room. Remember, as a leader, your job is to achieve results with and through other people. That's how you scale. That's how you retain talent. That's how you get people to give you their hearts and their minds and their backs together. Don't try to be the genius. Be the genius maker of others. Your job is to ignite the talent and genius of those that are working around you and have the humility and the confidence to hire people who are noticeably, palpably more talented than you are and unleash their talent and step out of the way. Love your wisdom. 
Love your books. If you want to learn more about Scott, check out his book, Master Mentors. His website is scottjeffreymiller.com, scottjeffreymiller.com. I'll put this in the show notes. I also have some other links. He's got a great Instagram too. I love seeing your Instagram. You share your kids and family. Can't thank you enough for being here today. Wish you the best of luck. Hopefully I can bribe you into coming when your next book comes out. I'd love to talk with you again. Gosh, what an honor. I'd love to come back and talk about Master Mentors Volume 2. But my pleasure. Thank you again for the platform and shining your light onto me today. I'm grateful to you. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.